Hey, I found a shortcut through your hedge maze. Why you little? No, no, go easy on the wee one. His father's gonna go crazy and chop mole into haggis. What's haggis? <gasps> Boy, you read my thoughts. You've got the shining. You mean shining. Shh, you wanna get sued? Run podcast. I'm Ryan from ColdSolitation.com, and I'm joined with my co-host Martin. How's it going? Pretty good. Uh, we apologize for our time off last week. We took a, a two-week break instead of a one-week break. Um, I, uh, I actually forgot that I was going on vacation. So that's what happens when you're rich. You yeah. forget about your vacations. I totally where did. We, where, where, where'd you go this time? Uh, we went to Cape Cod. You went to the Hamptons. Good for you. Yeah, I mean, you can kind of think of it that way. I think the Hamptons a little bit richer, but uh, we did go to a an area where it did have um, a number of people driving Teslas um, in Chatham, Massachusetts, which is um, part of the Cape, um, and it seems to be a little bit more of a richer area. And just so, so you know, dr- driving a Tesla is just as bad as rolling coal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just so you know, uh, you never know when that car is going to go sentient and. Uh, well, no. If you give Elon Musk your money, you're a fool. No, I agree. I agree. I uh, at this, at this was... point, at this point, wait for General Motors to finally come up with something and be like, "Here you go." There was a time where I was thinking, "Oh, you know what? It would be kind of cool to have a Tesla and have like the autopilot and stuff." But um, I wouldn't really, I wouldn't give uh, Elon Musk my money anymore. And there was a time too when I was looking into getting solar panels from um, Tesla, Tesla, and uh, I don't think I'll be doing that either. So. No, but we had a good time in Cape Cod and um, brought home some beer and uh, went to have, some breweries. Did you have a lobster roll? I did not because I don't eat seafood. You didn't have a good time. The, you have an the most you have, amount of seafood na- that I actually had was I did have a bite of salmon that uh, my wife got. And it was actually really good. Very, very, very mild. Not extremely fishy, which is what I don't like. I don't like like the extremely fishiness of the of fish. So the salmon was nice and mild, and I did I actually enjoyed that. Um, what about what about Narragansett? I didn't have a Narragansett either. No, because no. I was I was significantly focused on on local. Actually, you'd like the story too. Uh, we were focused so focused on local stuff that we went to um, a package store because in in Massachusetts they don't sell beer in uh, grocery stores. It's just not something that they can do uh, state law. So they have package stores, which is basically a liquor and beer store. Um, which is something that you don't find a lot here. You know, we have beer stores and we have liquor stores, but they kind of don't collaborate <laughs> for whatever reason. Uh, but there well, they kind of, well, they do both. Well, yeah, well, cause they're separate licenses. Right. And so there they do both, but they don't sell in grocery stores. So we went to this package store and, you know, I was looking for my beer and then all of a sudden I hear my wife, uh, and my sister asking the lady that works there, they were like, my, my wife was like, do you have any local wines? And I just had to laugh because it was just so, like, <laughs> bougie sounding. Like, do you, have, do you have any local wines? 
it was very funny, and then I made fun of her for a little bit. Yes, where they grow the grapes out. Uh, <laughs> but they did have local wines, and they actually had a sign up too that said local wines. But um, I just found it to be a funny exchange when I heard when I overheard it. You know, it was <laughs> just very like bougie sounding. Well, I mean, if you're going to vacation on the Cape, uh, you're pretty bougie, bud. Yeah. Just Airbnb in it up. Did did you have the sticker on your uh, on your van as you're driving out there? Cape got it, boss. <laughs> Uh, no, no, we didn't have that, uh, but we did have a, a caravan of sorts because my sister f- followed me, so doing a nice caravan down to Cape Cod. Got lost for about four miles on a walk because uh, all of the houses and the streets looked the same there, so we were walking, didn't bring our phones, uh, got lost, and uh, I had to run in my sandals to try to get my son back because he had to pee because uh, he's potty trained now, and I was running around this block, and I asked the guy... Uh, an older guy that was walking because he he had stopped to you know just talk to me for a little bit and I was like hey do you know where the street is and he's like I don't know any of these streets I only know my own street <laughs> <laughs> and I was like oh okay all right perfect um that's not helpful at all but thank you and so fi- eventually I did run but I had massive blisters on my my feet from running in sandals it's not fun um yeah Might we as well a- play this play play the Michael K sad music for yeah. right now. <laughs> We had a good time though. I had um I had an oyster stout uh, with local oysters from uh, Cape Cod, from Devil's Purse Brewing. Uh, shout out to them. We did stop there. They had a good selection of beers. Um, you know, the nice uh, selection of IPAs and and you know a couple experimental beers. Um, so the oyster stout was really good. You know, you think of oyster stout, you think like especially if you're like me, you don't like seafood. You're like, well, you know, I don't know if I'm gonna like that. But um, I've had oyster stouts before. And I know that the oyster really just gives it like sort of like a bulky, creamy, salty, salty, salty. texture to it. Yeah, almost like brined down. So, um, and that's exactly what it did with this oyster stout. Just gave it like a nice creamy base to it and uh, a little bit of salt on the back end. And it was very good. Very good oyster stout. Um, it's kind of like almost like tra- instead of using a lot of like your lactose or like Guinness uses um, uh, fish bladder. Uh, instead, you use oyster stouts or oysters in your stout. Cool, cool idea, especially when you're getting local oysters. Um, and then I also had a a uh, hot blonde ale from Cape Cod Brewing, uh, which seems to be like probably the biggest brewery that they have there. Um, you know, and that one had three peppers in it: it had uh, habanero pepper, um, it had jalapeno pepper, and poblano peppers. And this beer, you know, if you ever, I don't. I've had a few pepper beers before. Um, we've had the jalapeno sculpin from um, um, Ballast Point, if you remember that. A long and, time ago. Yeah, a long time ago. And um, generally, the 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 pepper beers tend to have a slight taste of pepper, mostly spice, and then you know the regular flavoring of whatever beer they're going for. And in the sculpin's case, it's an IPA. Um, in other cases, you know they do like um stout sometimes and i've had a few different types of pepper beers like that but this one was primarily like a pepper flavor it, it basically tasted like habanero beer really um with a, a slight hint of like that poblano taste because that's a poblano tastes definitely different than like a, a spicy pepper like habanero or jalapeno jalapenos and habaneros they kind of have that same sort of flavor profile 
Um, so you kind of got bo- both of those things, a habanero and a poblano pepper taste to it in a blonde ale. It was pretty cool. Um, I didn't have a full one. I only had like a half pint because they did like half pints or full pints. Um, so I didn't really want to just destroy my esophagus. So I did a half pint of that one and um, thought it was really good. So cool stuff checking out uh, Cape Cod. So that's why we didn't have an episode last week. We are back this week with an episode. And this episode, we figured because we did uh, an episode for Mother's Day that really fit in well. We did Hereditary. We would come back with another episode for Father's Day, which is this weekend. And we do a, a, an episode for the fathers to really two. appreciate the fathers out there. We're doing two men and a baby. Yeah. No, and, and I'm a father. and uh, Oh, after just talking about potty training. Yeah, wow. Yeah, we, re- we really wanted to. I wanted to celebrate being a father and, uh, you know, all that entails. And so we decided to do a movie that really emphasizes the plight of the father. And that movie is The Shining from Stanley Kubrick. We, um, we, 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 we've never done a Stanley Kubrick movie, right? We, we haven't, this no, is our first one. First one. So, um, that's a, you know, that's a milestone in and of itself. And, um, you know, again, with J- Jack in Jack Torrance in this movie, of course, perfect father figure, very, um, like, like the archetypal father figure, right? He just does everything right and we wanted to emphasize that in our episode for father's day so um i think it fits in well with the themes that we've been doing recently especially with hereditary and uh so let's start off with you uh you've seen the shining right no first time for you just kidding yeah i've seen it yeah yeah i i've seen the shining um a few times um i'm a big i'm a set off the podcast but uh probably have said before on the podcast with with a few times that kubrick has probably been brought up um big kubrick fan Mm -hmm. one of my favorite you know filmmakers between like him coppola carpenter and uh wes anderson Mm -hmm. uh so the shining i'm pretty familiar it's probably like the fifth or fifth time i've seen it Mm mm-hmm yeah, I would say third or fourth for me. Um, I have seen The Shining, uh, not in its entirety, quite a few times. Um, but in, you know, in its entirety, I've seen it like probably three or four times now. Um, and I have not read the Stephen King novel, which is I'm really surprised by because your family is, is you and your father are really big Stephen King fans. And I was kind of hoping to see. The differences between the book and the yeah, and like yeah. how you, how you felt because like that was kind of one of the cool things when we saw it. You know, chapter one, two is you know at least for me it was listening to your dad like you know be like, so what do you think, Corey? <sighs> well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, point yeah, and actually too, um, Michael from Cold Exploitation uh, is a big Stephen King fan, and he actually did a whole um, read through of Stephen King. Like he tried to do it in chronological order as the novels released so um he has done a few videos on the differences between the movies and the books and i think he's he's done christine and i think he did pet cemetery um you can go to our youtube page and, and check that out uh, on, on the cold exploitation youtube page um but he would have been a good resource here because he probably could have given us some information about the differences between the, sh- the book and the movie um i can 
pin I can point out a couple things that I know uh, just from researching, but um, specific things that are different between the books and the movie. Um, I don't really um, have that knowledge. So yeah, it would have been nice to to have read it. I haven't read it. Um, it's one of those books that I've kind of skipped over. I hadn't hadn't read it, uh, you know, especially when I was really in my Stephen King phase when I was in like my teens. Um, instead of going for The Shining, I went for the more interesting, you know, gigantic novels like It and The Stand. Um, and in some cases, those were because I wanted to like push my endurance. Like, can I read a thousand page book? I don't know. Let's try it. Uh, you know, when I was 15. And then not only that, but it has some hardcore sex sex scenes in it. So I also, you know, as a teenager, I had to check those out. You know, so skipping over The Shining a little bit because it's not as, you know, hardcore and sexual. Um, so one thing I wanted to point out is um, that uh, there's a, a pretty cool project from um, Leyland Kirby, who is a, an Indian musician. And um, he had, for uh, uh, quite a few years, he did a... Um, project called the caretaker which was primarily influenced by the shining and it's influenced by the ballroom scenes from the shining so <clears throat> his inspiration came from the shining but really he also was um, interested in alzheimer's disease and the research behind alzheimer's disease and, and music um, and how the brain can sometimes hear snippets of music and then be taken back to a time that they remember so um the project is involves a lot of like old 78 records um ballroom music waltzes and things like that that are um played throughout six albums and as he continues to um progress in the alzheimer stages because there are six main stages to alzheimer's the music continues to deteriorate and um towards the end of the like the six stages around five four five and six it really isn't music at all anymore it's it's a lot of noise and garbled um you know ambience with some vestiges of the original ballroom music um coming out occasionally because of you know of the alzheimer's memories uh, it's a very haunting project, and it's it's very reminiscent of the ballroom music from The Shining. If you haven't checked it out, you really should. Um, it will require you to basically listen to, you know, if you want to get the full effect, you're going to have to listen to about six hours of, of music entirely. But uh, it's a really cool um, idea that I think works really well from, from his project, and it ties in really well to The Shining, um, you know, specifically that it is influenced by the shining but also you know the shining has itself has a lot of um somewhat like ambient noise like drone music um so i just want to point that out but you haven't listened to that have you martin no you should you should check it out at least like at least once give it a listen um even if that's not like your thing it's throw a pretty... some banjos some, you know some <laughs> fiddle no, it's a it's it's a pretty cool project, and and you know he's done a lot of different types of ambient stuff, but the caretaker is one that really resonates with me and resonates with a lot of people who have uh, seen The Shining and also gone through um, experiences with Alzheimer's. So, just want to throw that out there. And with that, let's take a break before we really get into The Shining. Let's talk about the beer that we have on the show today because I brought this one back from Cape Cod. 
But we didn't really talk about the film. <laughs> no, we didn't talk about it. too much about the intro, but no. But uh, that's okay. We'll we'll save that for the actual, you know, the bulk of the episode where we talk. We go into true detail about what we thought about the movie. But uh, right now, let's talk about this yeah. Nelson Pulp Daddy that we got on the show. I brought this. Well, back. I was gonna, I, I was gonna say we're you're gonna get groundbreaking uh, review on The Shining. This forty that's never been done before. <laughs> yeah, and that you know people have devoted like their entire you know theses to. Um, Talking about The Shining. But, we uh, actually filmed something to be a part of Room 237, the mm-hmm. documentary, and uh, just didn't make the cut, yeah, unfortunately. That's right. Yeah. The, they also, uh, Criterion, asked us to do a commentary. <laughs> but uh, unfortunately, we were busy at the time. So. And, and say, no, no. Yeah. Sorry, Criterion. We were busy. <laughs> uh, no, but so on today's episode, we got Nelson Pulp Daddy. This is a beer from a brewery that we've never had before. Uh, it's from Greater Good, uh, which is from uh, Massachusetts. They are, I think, based out of... Uh, what does it say? They're based out of Worcester, Mass. Ooh, Worcester. 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 Um, and the can... And I don't know too much about Greater Good, because this, this kind of just like stuck out to me on the shelf, and I grabbed it thought it looked interesting um the can says that they are america's first all imperial brewing company huh well i'm on their website right now let's see if they're lying or not is that truly all they do is imperial beers the funk daddy an imperial sour so it is an imperial as they say, that that right there is where like, we can stop. If you if you're gonna do an imperial sour, okay, yeah, you win. Yeah, right, right. No, you're not <laughs> you're not lying then. Yeah, no, they they do pretty much everything is a, a imperial beer. This one in particular is an imperial New England IPA. Of course, you're in New England. Why not do it? Do a hazy. And with Nelson. Yeah, and in particular, this one is dry hopped with Nelson. Um, specifically. So they think, I think they have a couple of different pulp daddies. I think this has the regular pulp daddy base and they dry hop it with Nelson. Um, they have he, a passion, passion fruit guava imperial sour. Does mm, that sound delightful? It does. Yeah. So this one is, um, really good. I, I like it a lot. You know, Nelson is, um, a hop that doesn't necessarily get a lot of usage um it does it does if you're fighting yeah it does if you're fighting i think the bigger ones are tend to be like mosaic um citra those are like the two big ones that you see a lot nelson on its own not as much but i think they've done a really good job with this they have given it a nice very you know creamy body to it um it is a very I would say balanced beer. It's not extremely bitter, but it does. The Nelson does give it a very distinctive flavor that um, I think you will either like or you won't like. Um, what do you think? Do you think Nelson is kind of like a one of those one of those hops that like it can be off putting to certain people? Um, no. If you like. Uh you like your night bus. Nelson is a hop to have. Uh, it's true. It's 
it's delightful. It's absolutely delightful. We've done quite a few Nelson beers actually on here. Yeah, and one thing too to point out about Nelson is that it doesn't bring your typical Nipa grapefruit flavors. This one, you know, does not have a distinctive like grapefruity taste to it that you kind of think of sometimes when you think of like, oh, tropical hazy grapefruit. No. Um this one is not kiwi, that. Star yep. fruit. Nice star fruit. Rambutan. Do you think that Greater Good has succeeded when they call it a tropical fruit salad? Um Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, fruit salad—nothing I ever sit down to enjoy because just eat the damn fruit. <clears throat> but um, I, I, I do like it because it's not your—it's st- not mangoey. It's not uh, you know overly you know grapefruity as you said, which is your base. You know, grapefruit, pineapple, mango is kind of like the key. Uh, notes of a Nipa. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that the Nelson. It is. We said we we've done Nelson beers before. I like that it adds something different. That's you know, tropical, but also very you know divergent of uh, what you know uh, you usually expect in a Nipa. So like the nice kiwi star fruit taste, you know, taste to it is nice. It's very. It's you know very creamy, uh, for an ape you know for a double IPA it's very smooth, easy drinking, um, slight bitter finish, but very crisp, very easy drinking, very enjoyable. I like this a lot, um, and um, I'd like to see kind of you know other brewers you know do more with Nelson because off the top of my head. You know, really, my I think my only real experience with Nel, you know Nelson beers is Fidens, because uh, they did quite a few of them. But uh, this is a delightful hop, um, one that I would like to see, you know, kind of uh, utilize more. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I mean, I like <clears throat> I like this trend of picking out like a particular hop and then, um, you know, doing. Yeah amplifying it yeah doing doing that one and so that's probably what drew me to this the most is just you know i'm always completely like i don't know obsessed with the fomo of of uh you know not getting that beer that has like the one particular hop and then you're like yep we're never making that one again you know that's or that's why you buy, buy sloop yeah like, or even oh we got the simcoe bomb gotta have it yeah or even not not just not making it again but like going under a different name and like damn i didn't try it under that other name i didn't check <laughs> into that one you know it's a definitely an obsession ocd sort of thing but uh have i had sam as mary mischief or mary me <laughs> whoa that's a that's a throwback <laughs> whoa <laughs> if we go down to nafes i bet they still have it the Mary both mischief. Of them. Yeah. They'll have, they'll have both Mary. Yeah. That and the that Tasman run Baltic Seaport. Those are throwbacks, man. You know what? They should bring those back. I would be interested in trying them again. I would too. It was, a cool, it was kind of a cool thing that they did. I like that. Yeah. So they the would 20, do that again. 
A twenty-four ounce. Yeah, no, I wish Sam Adams would do that. Yeah, I would. I would dedicate a whole podcast of us doing. Like, we just going got down, all six of them. Going down the line, saying like, "Oh, you know." Yep. That was a cool thing. That was when Sam Adams was really trying. Because I mean, they had a rock box. I know. I know. Yeah. Uh, was... uh, wait, so, hold on. Not a rock box. It had double. It was a double yeah. rock box. That was when they were trying. They were. They Tasman were trying to do Red something IPA. different. Yeah, greater good. Frank, as I say, as Frank Reynolds would say from uh, It's Always Sunny, those were the days. <laughs> yeah, so greater good from Worcester, Mass. Check it out. I um, wish we got more of these around here because I would definitely check out another uh, beer from them. Uh, we don't get any of them. I know. I uh, would like to see them. So, so the did only you, thing- I say, when, when, did you ask them, like, how come you're not distributing out? Or are they like a little hovel? And you're like, oh, that's why you're not distributing. No, I didn't go here. This was just from a package store. So, oh. so you packy, you packy store? Yeah, it was from a packy. And uh, I did, it just looked interesting to me. But, yeah, no, I wish Wait, when, would... when, when you went to your local market, what do you call the things you push with the hold your groceries? Like the, the carriage. Oh, okay. And yeah. what, what about the thing to drink the water out of? The bubbler. Oh, fuck you people. You 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 forget that I went to school I don't, in New England. No, for I, no, I I don't forget. That's how almost. I I don't forget. That's how I I know these terms, <laughs> and I and I get really sad. I, honestly, when I went to visit you when you were still in college, it it was hilarious because like, how do you know the New York uh, Massachusetts border? Well, as soon as you cross into Massachusetts, everything's called fucking colonial. Yeah. Colonial this, colonial that. And then how'd you know you're getting, going to New York? There's a giant-ass sign that says the Empire State. <laughs> Buckle up. Buckle up. You're about to go downhill. <laughs> that's, that's the best part of the whole the whole trip going to visit you. It's like, you can't, because you're going up the Berkshires, you can't tell. Well, when, when we went, it was totally foggy. So you couldn't tell when you hit Massachusetts. There's no signage or anything. And by the time we hit the, the hill, we're like, oh. I think we're in Massachusetts. The the root the root signs are different, and everything is named Colonial. When yep. we were heading back, there's a giant ass sign on the mountain when you hit the top that says "Welcome to New York, the Empire State." Fifty five, buckle up, and you bomb down the hill. It's awesome. Oh, by the way, lean your head out the window and tell that asshole who's mowing what the fuck are you doing it. You know, 15 after 8 at night here. I'm pretty sure that's my upstairs neighbor. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just pretty sw- sure. Got some ambience in, in the background. Some ambiance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so on to The Shining. Let's talk Stanley about Kubrick's The Shining. No, I'm not I'm not doing that. I'm not I'm not prefacing <laughs> it with Stanley Kubrick's. It's tr- not? certainly not Stephen King's The Shining. Because he pisses and moans about it. I, which is funny, because you know what? The man like writes books and then gets money thrown at him. Shut up. That take is... your money. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of true. Well, so this is <laughs> like an... Well, they didn't do what I want. I mean, this is a definitely an earlier one of an adaptation for Stephen King. You know, uh, 1980 was, you know, when his hate... That, that, was, that was when King was still doing a whole loads of cocaine. So... Oh, so he sobered up from alcohol, but he hadn't sobered up from the... The book shug. 
Yeah. But I, but so so the idea behind The Shining, um, specifically, you know, like what we get in in the in the movie that Stanley Kubrick gives us, is you know the the idea of it is pretty much centered around Stephen King's original story. You know, it's it's about the Overlook Hotel, which is a hotel with a storied history. Um, it's not in Maine. What's that? It's not in Maine. It's not. Yeah, that's right. It's not in Maine. It's in Colorado. And it's a storied history of um, um, the massacre that occurred there. Well, I, I guess I, w- I guess I would call it a massacre, right? A, a man chopped up his wife and kids into little bitty pieces with an axe, and uh, that occurred in its past. And you know, it's sort of been like the. Um, it's almost like the um, the Lizzie Borden house, right? Like that has that storied history that it happened, and you know. In some ways, people like to visit it because of that. But it's also a very scenic area. Uh, it's you know part of Colorado where it gets a lot of snow. And the whole idea behind The Shining is that this Overlook Hotel needs a caretaker. needs somebody to look after it during the winter months when everybody leaves Colorado. And they say, hey, you know what, Jack Torrance, you are not a great writer. You don't have anything going on. Why don't you come on up here and, and take care of this uh, massive hotel and run the boilers and stuff? How dare you? <laughs> well, I mean, he's certainly a struggling writer. I haven't read Jack Torrance's work. The only work that we get to really read in that in, in the movie why itself is... is why uh, don't you submit your work? I will. You know what? I will. Make me go through college again of rereading your tripe. But uh, the only thing we... I mean, the only thing we get to read of his is the... You know, pages and pages of uh, all work and no play make Jack a dull boy. Well, if Shelley Duvall would fucking mind her own goddamn business, he hey. would have wrote... Hey, Shelley Duvall is a delight as Wendy. Now, so, let's talk about that for a second. So, Jack is called in here to take on the role of caretaker, right? And he puts on a good show when he goes to meet with with um, the, the the owner of the hotel and he's, you know, which he, by the which by the way well he's not the owner the general yeah manager. the general manager which by the way by today's standards what a ludicrous idea they don't plow the roads for like five months it's fucking today wouldn't like, happen right <laughs> no no right like, and not only that but like can you imagine <laughs> just like we're gonna pay this guy. To sit to around s- for five months, pretty much, you know, and, and, and make like, sure just, the boilers. Yeah, just fire. run the boiler here and there, and you know, how m- <laughs> you have to think about like how much how much does it cost to just run the boiler constantly, versus how much does it cost to pay this dude to s- just stay here, and and to be fair too, now you would not expect like them to not even make money during that holiday like during the five month period they would they would be trying their best to to function as a hotel well, so ridiculous like, the out, holiday. like like out of the five months like three of them were actually winners so like mm. two of them they could sit there and still make have business mm-hmm. yeah like it's fucking ridiculous like what hold on hold on can't have you guys going up there we gotta go home it's too dangerous and did I hear that right? Did they say literally 20 feet of snow? Yeah. 20 feet of snow. Which I'm sure up in the Rockies. You probably do get at some point, yeah. 
But I just can't imagine, you know, you have like in, in the film and Kubrick does a really good job of showcasing how big this hotel is. Right. Because part of The Shining itself is showing the immensity of the hotel, the um, it's a character itself. Right. Exactly. It is a character. It, it is supposed to be overwhelming and very large. And, and most of the time, Kubrick's cinematography is following the characters through this very large um, very maze-like hotel and observing how immense it is and how, you know, kind of overwhelming to the characters it can be. Uh, so that's like part of the point of The Shining is to show that this house is a character all its own and and how, you know, intimidating it can be. Um, but what we get from that too is, you know, it's, it's so big, I just can't imagine that a hotel like this would just shut down entirely and and, and take five months off to like just not, not make any money and, and and actually lose money lose money on the torrents staying there uh paying them to keep up the stuff paying them to just run the boilers um having them eat whatever they fucking want from the gigantic pantry and in and uh freezer that they have there because they have like literally it's like a fucking abattoir of of uh dead animals there because they have like 20 chickens 15 turkeys uh there's 20 sirloin steaks in there 35 you know rib racks scatman crothers pretty much goes through the whole uh inventory of what's in the freezer at one point um, <laughs> yeah i mean i i just can't imagine that for the five month period that would be worthwhile to shut down like that for that hotel but you know what it's not real we're gonna go with it um i don't they if anything they're losing their money because like yeah you're losing money because you have 25 pounds of rack of lamb just... Yeah. Honestly, left, though... Left, left your caretakers to enjoy. Honestly, though, like, the way that they sell the place, the the hotel, taking taking care of it and stuff, I probably would be on board, too, for this, this job. I would be no. like, you're going to pay me to just sit there, fucking run the furnace? You got it. No, I mean, no. No. You wouldn't be interested? No, as solitude of life that I live already. I mean, no. I mean, sitting on top of a fucking mountain in a giant hotel on your own? No, that's hell. I don't know. I, I in my older age now, living no, through but COVID. I mean, like, no, because I mean that you, you're thinking like, well, I can text and I can. You don't have. And I have the internet. No, I'm not thinking about that either. I'm thinking. Think of the classics I could read. Yeah, because you're finally going to go through Moby Dick. You're going to finally yeah. sit Exactly. Sit that solitude go- will afford me the all to read all of the literature. I'm going to go through and read all of my, you know, British literature 401 class. So textbook. you're finally going finally to read Dracula. I've read Dracula. No, I'm going to oh. read, um, I'm going to read. U- Ulysses. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I'll read that, or I'll I'll read. I'll finally finish the wasteland. Well, joke, jo- jokes on you, Ulysses Irish. Um, what? Wait, we we skirt around that one. But what I want to get back to, because I we we had you had said it really briefly, and then I want we kind of got sidetracked about what we were talking about. But <laughs> I want to get back to Wendy, because Wendy doesn't accept this job. She is very literary, too, because as we see, she's reading The Catcher in the Rye at the beginning of the movie. She's got, when we when we see their actual, like, their house where, she, where they're staying, 
uh, before they go to the hotel. You know, there's just books and books and books everywhere. So it does make sense to her that, you know, for her to be kind of at home in the the five month period of time that they're there's in the uh, hotel because that's kind of like think, what she does. Do you think it's catching the rye because Jack Nicholson's a phony? Hmm. Well, the film is all about duality of person and <clears throat> how we, we kind of have a couple different people that we, um, that we, we pretend to be. And actually, you know what? Let's come back to that in a little bit. I, I, <laughs> I want to continue my thoughts about Wendy here. Because um, what I think is really interesting is the film, um, you know, Wendy is sort of a character that is often treated as, you know, uh, the secondary character. But in reality, in the movie, she is doing a lot of the work. So Jack is the one that's hired to do all of this stuff for the hotel. And he's the one that really takes it personally, like, you know, as he's starting to be uh, to go crazy in the hotel. And he, he basically says that. You know, he was hired to do all these jobs. There's that really, you know, iconic scene where he's confronting Wendy on the staircase. And he says, basically, like, what would you think? What would you what do you think people would think if I went and said I can't complete this job and I was in a contract and yada, yada, yada. But Wendy's really the one that's doing all the work because Jack's sleeping in till 1130 a.m. She's making her breakfast. She's going to check the boilers herself. Uh, she's radioing, you know, back to the local um authorities it's really wendy that's really holding the hotel together and jack is kind of losing it in the background i think that's really interesting moments for the shining to show how strong wendy really truly is because a lot of times you see wendy and shelly duvall's film really is very has a very cowed appearance for most of the movie um and that is also partially because of the background of the filming of the film and it's pretty much um apparent and has been shared quite a few times that Kubrick was notoriously harsh on uh, Shelley Duvall throughout the filming of this movie and kind of had her pretty consistently throughout the, the filming, you know, sort of like a terrified wreck um, for the portrayal of what she needed to get across in The Shining. Um, but she really truly is a, a fairly strong character. And I think they do a very good job with showcasing that in the beginning of the movie where she's kind of taking control of the situation where we see Jack kind of, you know, not, do, not doing the things that he was hired to do. Um, so I like that a lot, but I do think that one of the interesting, uh, elements to the shining that I wanted to talk about is the idea of Jack's agency. Um, because this is kind of where I think Stephen King has a, an issue with Kubrick's film and that Jack in, the film, you know, obviously has issues. And I, I feel like right at the beginning of the movie, we do see the tendency for Jack to put on a show like that duality of character that I was talking about. Do you feel that way when you, when you first encounter Jack and he's in that meeting with, you know, the big wigs getting the job, do you feel like Jack is um, just a little bit off there on purpose? Yeah. He's, he's bullshit. And, when, when, especially when you hear him them talk about like you know bring up the previous murder and stuff, and he's like, well, you know, I don't have to worry about that. Everything, you know, and you know Jack Nicholson's great for that because you know his very pronounced uh, performances. 
you know, uh, getting to watch him, you know, kind of be more than quirky. He's eccentric. Mm-hmm. Um, that yeah, you do see. Like you're th- you're th- you're left thinking like something's just not quite right with him. And and at first you might just think, well, that's maybe awkwardness or that's maybe you know even an acting issue with Jack Nicholson. But uh, uh, very apparent later on, it becomes. In a more thing, pronounced. yeah, it becomes more pronounced, and it becomes a thing with Jack that you know there is a duality of how he responds to certain situations. You know, so he's able to bullshit, he's able to um, hide some things about himself, and I feel like that's really pronounced at the beginning of the movie because you just you do feel like there's just something not quite right about how he's reacting to these this situation, and um, I do find that interesting because the film tends to. Well, so um, I, I say I think it's supposed to come off as like he's rolling with the punches, like you know, where like you know, well you're gonna be up there for quite a while. Well, that's okay. Yeah, last person up there killed themselves. <laughs> well, it's gonna be okay yeah, with me you, and my what? Is it like like is your it's wife like, gonna be okay with it? Yes, she is. She's yep, a yep. horror fan. <laughs> she's she's fine. I, it is almost like a desperation too, right? Like, but it but it he's he's good at it. He's good at you know focusing on, on a, yeah, yeah putting on a front exactly like no i would i would like to do this job but it, it's actually desperation and i th- i i, th- I think a, i think i think if they added sorry to cut you off sorry. i think if they added like what what the monetary gain is from this mm. would would make it more like how much is he actually making yeah like from this because again like he's a former school teacher uh, we're assuming we don't know for certain, but you would assume that he lost his probably his teaching gig from his alcoholism and um, the abuse that he's you know dealt uh, Danny. We again, we don't know, but it's infer you, you can infer that from the information we're giving given throughout the film. So it'd be interesting to know like how much exactly would he be making from babysitting this hotel for five months in the winter months Mm -hmm. that would make you go oh yeah that'd be worthwhile Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because again like it sounds appealing and i'm somebody who you know lives you know like you pretty solitary it it, that would be hell though (laughs) because because there's you know you don't think about it, but there's random points where you send a random like text message out, and you're like, "Oh, I'm living in solitude." It's like, no, you sending that text message out is you breaking that solitude, reaching for help, you know, reaching for yeah. contact. And it is kind of interesting too that you know it, it it may be difficult for us to even imagine a time like that because we haven't we're so we, connected, right? We haven't really lived. I mean, we did for about fifteen, fourteen years. We lived for through a time where. There wasn't as much connection as we have now, but for the majority of our life, you know, maybe even more than half of our life, we've had a pretty substantial connection to something, either the internet or another person through text message or phone. Um, And it's kind of hard for a contemporary audience to even imagine the fact that at a, you know, during times in the seventies and eighties and even some, some in the nineties, there was a time where you could have absolutely zero connection to the outside world besides maybe TV. 
and we do see that they you know they do have a TV and they can see some. Um, they had a CB radio. Yeah, and they had a CB radio. But I do think that for a contemporary audience, it is difficult to even imagine that scenario. But I think for audiences of the time in the 80s, you know, to see later on when Jax takes away the, um, I don't know what they are, the like radio. The, the radio, whatever he does to the radio, he takes out like the, the fuses in the radio. Um, I feel like that probably would have been fairly terrifying because now you truly are cut off. You have literally no... Um, you know, you have no connection to the outside world. It's, uh, you've gotten tons of snow. So obviously like cable is going to be out and you know, you have no phones. I think that probably would be really terrifying to an audience that would understand it. And now we've kind of lost that connection to not, not never having something to be able to reach out to. So I, I, I think which, you're right. Which, which I think makes it more terrifying now mm. that that isolation is, much more idealistic. We would, we would notice it, right? Like you, you would. You would I think you would again snap. You know, people from today would snap. You know, quicker. much sooner because yeah. you have such connection to technology mm. in the outside world. I think you, you know, like this film like as we like become more technologically engrossed as society is uh definitely more frightening because again it's like you're up on a mountain oh, woohoo i'm in a hotel by myself woohoo i got rice krispies woohoo <laughs> you got dang it's like dang woohoo and it's like oh your cable's out and you don't have any phone access and you're like oh what, what do, do i do now yeah right and and, and then you're just Fucking and and, and then too, dread. you know, especially for me, you go to the bar and you say, "Oh no, there's no alcohol here." What do I do which, now? Which which doesn't <laughs> I say which doesn't count because they even say as in, as a as they reference because they talk about you know Jack's sobriety and issues with sobriety when they're walking him through and they go to the gold room. They say. Well, there's no liquor here. We pull it all out for insurance reasons. So there's not even, you know, alcohol to distract these mm-hmm. people. Uh, which, even if even if Jack Nicholson wasn't a drunk, mm-hmm. is still like a damning like. Well, alcohol is something I can use to take my you know mind off things. Mm-hmm. There's not even any any to be found here because of you know circumstances uh so that that kind of leads me though to the um the impact of jack and what you were ta- you, i say you were talking about his agency yeah his agency um so w- w- the film is you know somewhat apologetic of jack um and i i, I would say i'm somewhat conflicted on how i feel about how it treats jack as a as a person who is clearly suffering from alcoholism and uh, a con- you know a continued obsession with alcoholism, despite the fact that he's sober, you know, for five months, um, technically it's not really considered you know to be kicking the habit. You know, you have to go for quite a while with without um, alcohol to actually be considered like you know no longer an alcoholic. But so I I I, I would disagree with that I think once an alcoholic always an alcoholic. Yeah, no, I I don't mean like you're. 
you're never going to be an alcoholic again, have more drinks. But I mean, like to be out of that um, addiction, I would say like to be to be clear of the immediate addiction. You're always going to have the temptation and you're always going to potentially, you know, go back to alcohol. Yeah, go back to alcoholism. But the longer over time that you get, the less likely that occurs. But I think that um, the film is somewhat apologetic to Jack, and I and I'm I'm kind of okay with that because you know he does have alcoholism and it is a disease, and he, you know, there is in in fact like a something that occurs, that, and there's lots of like ex- experimental, contextual elements that occur that cause Jack to kind of relapse into this scenario. But um, do you think that the film is too apologetic of Jack's agency where it kind of takes away from the fact that, you know, he's making um, he's making uh, choices specifically, you know, like mental choices instead of uh, being um, manipulated. manipulated by the ghosts of Overlook Hotel? Because I'm conflicted in two different ways. I, I think like, oh, you know what? Like, it does make sense that in some ways you're always manipulated in life. Like it doesn't matter if it's a ghost or if it's someone else or if it's, um, you know, just a bad, a bad time that you're going through in life. That's like your manipulation. But at the same time, I feel like the film is a little bit too apologetic to say, well, it's not Jack doing this. It's the manipulation of the overlook hotel. That's doing this. What, what do you think about that? Um, I would say no. I, I think, I think I mean, the alcoholism is incredibly prevalent throughout the film. Um, I don't... I think, if anything, I think the the addition of Ghost and it being a story mainly focused on uh, Ghost, taking that agency away is a problem. Because I think, honestly, like, if you kind of strip down it a little bit more, the film would be much better if, like, maybe all the psychosis that's going on throughout this entire hotel isn't ghost. Because it clearly, at the end, is ghost. Yeah, exactly. If, if, and that's, if, and that's... If, 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 if you had it be, like, Jack, like, Jack's fight with alcoholism, I think that would make the film much more interesting. And a much more more appealing because I think um, I I kind of think like I, I I understand what Cooper was doing, but at the same time I, I think there's not enough like I, it's I don't know it's kind of hard to explain mm-hmm. I I don't think the like. The motivation is there, but I don't think they kind of expound upon it enough. Um, yeah, I, because I, I again, at, 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 at the, because at the end of the day, when you have the scene where he's in the gold room, when he finally breaks down, he's sitting at the gold room. It's t- totally empty. He's at the bar, and he's sitting there, and he's just rubbing his head, and he's rubbing his face, and because again, it's been brought up that he's been five months sober, uh, and he's just like God. I'd sell my soul for a drink. And then you, like, Lucifer himself basically <laughs> appears. And he's like, what can I do for you, sir? And all of a sudden, the bar's fully stocked. And he's like, well, I got 
two twenties and ten. Plan on burning them. What do you got? And he's like, I'll get you a bourbon, sir. And he's like, bourbon sounds good to me. And he starts drinking, and he's having the banter with the bartender, which I don't know if the bartender's supposed to be standing for Lucifer. Don't know. I don't quite think so, but, I mean, kind of could because he made you know his deal with the devil there. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of interesting because he makes, like, that deal – like, you know, says, like, oh, I sell my soul for fucking, you know, beer. And then he gets that beer. Gets that alcohol. Well, we already know the Overlook Hotel. Nothing for you to drink. So, again, like, I think it would have been more interesting if, like, those, like, what he's going through is more, you know, hallucinations and withdrawal than these ghosts kind of moving the plot along. Yeah, and that's because kinda... because because there's several times where he goes back to the bar and you're like, well, what the fuck, like, what's causing you know him to have this, you know? Yeah, that's that's kind of where I get conflicted too because I I do appreciate the fact that the film um, has a, a variety of different elements to it, including the fact that the Overlook Hotel has its own shining. You know, it has the the idea that. Um, some sort of evil has existed here and whether it was conjured into being because a guy killed his family there or even more or older than that like even even a more ancient evil that has just always been there i like that idea however i also think that it does take away some of the agency of jack and i think that's where stephen king um took his um criticism of Kubrick's you know ideas because towards the end of the movie we do find that Jack is not redeemed um he you know basically goes crazy and he freezes to death in the maze because he can't find his way out and there's no redemption for him he really just goes crazy and it's it's part of the character development of him that the ghosts have have done that to him um in some capacity Uh, well I mean I say because I mean there's an argument to be made that especially after the end scene that maybe he's reincarnated exactly right and in that too that there's there's some sort of um you know faded evil that has been there and that he's always been the caretaker in some capacity and that's just the way that it has been throughout the years and that's kind of you know again that kind of takes away some of the agency of his character because i like you i would much rather have seen the film deal with the psychosis of are the ghosts really there? Do they exist or are they a figment of Jack's imagination? Um, and I think f- for the most part, Kubrick does stick to that. It's just towards the end of the movie where we actually see um, Wendy actually see the I skeletons. Gonna, I, I was going to say, um, that see, I mean, you're right, but at the end time, I I think with how the film was going at the end, uh, you you can't argue that because by Wendy enga- being able right. to enga- you know engage in these visions, right? You know she's engaging with these spirits. Yeah, and that's what I would say. We we for the most part, you can see The Shining, um, and Jack's visions as either real, like there there truly are ghosts there. Or it could be just that he is hallucinating these things because of his, you know, alcoholism and 
and the uh, the cabin fever that he experiences, except for that ending, because that ending does have Wendy explicitly see skeletons and you know the whole the scene with the the furry animals and um, so let's those, talk about that. Yeah, let's, say, let's, let's talk about that. So what what do you think about the fellatioing fellatioing uh, bear slash uh, dog? What what's what's what symbolism are you supposed to be gaining from that? I don't really think that there is too much symbolism involved in that, except for for the surrealism of it and the reference to the um, book. Right. Ex- yeah. I mean, I don't really think that there's too much symbolism there. I think that it is to be taken really just as it's you know as it it's as it's shown and and that's one of the things that i find a little bit frustrating about um the shining is that i think kubrick uh here um anticipates the viewer being a little bit too dumb um where he goes a little bit over the top with his with his uh symbolism um we really like the end of the film take the end of the film for example we get to see the picture on the wall of the Overlook Hotel, clearly you can read the the tag on it. it. Says the Overlook Hotel, 1921, and we see Jack Nicholson right at the forefront of the crowd. That's fine. That's a great shot, and let that be the lingering moment that the viewer sees to kind of question. Um, okay, what you know, what the, what does that mean? What is what is that saying about what we've just seen? However, I think he goes a little bit too far. You know, we have then a pan in of, oh, here's a very, very nice close-up of Jack Nicholson. Seven, se- seven different shots. Right, exactly. Like, and then a pan yeah, down, and here's the tag, and it says, The Overlook Hotel, 1921. It's like, you know, we, those those types of things are like, you know, let the viewer kind of glean that. We don't need to be beaten over the head with like seven different edits edited shots of seeing that information um i I would have been fine with just you know that one shot and i think that would have been a little bit more effective and that's kind of the feeling that i get from what kubrick has done is i think that there are sometimes a little bit too much symbolism that he's gone a little overboard um because when left to his own devices when left to um allow the symbolism to resonate i think the shining does a really good job of showcasing like i said the duality of person um with mirror imagery mirrors are a very big part of the shining it, the mirrors are everywhere the one i icon- like the very very specific scene that i think works really great where kubrick allows the viewer to view and feel off kilter and feel the surrealism of the moment is when wendy brings jack breakfast in bed and there's a mirror, and we're looking at Jack in the mirror. And then all of a sudden, there's a jarring edit where we see Jack on the opposite side of the bed because we're now no longer looking at him in the mirror. It's a great moment. That's a great thing where it just breaks the viewer's you know, feelings of like normality because we've now just shifted how we're seeing Jack. I think that's really great, and that... that, that that moment really gives us that uh, symbolism that we don't need to be beaten over the head with because you're going to notice. You notice that fact that, like, oh, he, you know, he was on the left side of the bed. Now he's on the right side of the bed. Um, we notice that something's amiss there. 
I don't think that Kubrick needs to really beat us over the head, but then later on, you know, we start getting more and more things that just sort of um, snowball and kind of beat us over the head with metaphors. And I don't think that that works as well. And that's kind of the biggest issue that I have with The Shining. I wish that Kubrick would have just left kind of well enough alone and not really gone full in on those moments because, you know, let the viewer kind of make inference of what that means. However, I do think that the the film's off-kilter feeling, the um, the very plotting, very dreading um, atmosphere works really well throughout The Shining for the most part. Um, there are a lot of iconic moments, you know, following um, Danny through the halls until he turns the corner and sees the twin, the the sisters. Um, the the shots of the blood coming through the elevator, the um, woman in the bathtub, those are all very iconic, and there's a reason why they work really well, because the film just conjures a great, grim atmosphere, and we have to attribute a lot of that to the soundtrack, because I think the soundtrack does a really good job of swelling and giving us that very um, moody, dreadful feeling that we get when we go through these moments in The Shining. What do you think about the soundtrack? It's great. It's, it's <clears throat> classic horror with the classic horror stings, but it's incredibly dreadful. has an incredible atmosphere, incredibly well-timed, great ambiance that, that, that like, stereotypical, like, you know, violence playing before like something happens. It's it, very impactful here. It has that, but it's also like what I like about it too is that the um we we've complained about before how the music can be a little bit too bombastic to be, you know, it's over exaggerated where it's the only thing that you notice. But I feel like here the f- the film does utilize the fact that the film you know the the music is bombastic. But it's on purpose. It's supposed to be overwhelming to the senses. To the you know, there's a there's that one moment where Scatman Crothers is laying in bed and he's got you know obviously he's got, he's got the, uh, the 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 black queens that are on his walls and you know obviously you notice that. Um, but uh, he's laying in bed and he gets that telepathic message from Danny, who's who's basically calling for help, and you get that really sharp, piercing feedback sound that that goes on for quite a while and it's, it's almost overwhelming it's a very loud very um enveloping on the soundtrack but it works really well because it, it really sets a mood it sets a you know a very um uncomfortable feeling for the for the viewer and i think that the film uses soundtrack to its advantage at every turn it's probably one of the best parts of the shining that i would pinpoint um, it's almost uh, um Sorry to interrupt, but it's almost any Morricone with the thing esque, minus like the synth things as mm-hmm. much, right? Because like you just think of, like the intro, like bump bump, bump bump, bump bump, like you know this like heartbeat going on throughout the film, yeah, and that's what this kind of has, and it also has you know, you know more. Uh, classical horror notes, but with like these great violin, you know, stings. Uh, it's very good. 
<clears throat> yeah, it's it's a great orchestral score that um, I think really works well to to generate mood. Uh, one thing I have to ask about you, seeing as we talk about, um, well, as we you were mainly talking about um, Jack Torrance's agency. What do you feel about the idea that um, the hypothesis that um, has been bandied about by uh, film critics that Jack is uh, been sexually assaulting Danny? What? How do you feel about that? As you've watched us, you know, because we 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 get to hear about throughout the film how he hurt Danny when he's belligerently drunk and pulled away from him and pulled his shoulder. But do you think there's evidence in this film that suggests that he's also sexually molesting? I really don't. I feel like that's a, a large inference from what we get from the film. Um, there are some intimate moments that we get with Danny and, and Jack, but I don't feel, I, I've never, I never felt like they were overtly sexual or that they were implicitly implying that, um, there was a sexual nature with them. I'm not really sure why they would specifically jump directly to that. I don't get that feeling. Um, I get the feeling that alcoholism and abuse was in the family and that Jack had a temper issue that would often uh, be exacerbated by alcoholism. I don't get the feeling that there was ever a sexual element to it. The only time... And I and if you read up on it, like the the thesis is, you know, it's well constructed. It's like you know, like a pretty good, like wow, what if? The only time I really kind of feel that, like kind of like like that vibe is the scene where you see him kind of consoling Danny, and he's sitting there, like kind of stroking his head, and he's like, how, how are you doing? Uh, you know, I love you, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, Jack Nicholson, stro you know, stroking his head and trying to be comforting. And you can see Danny kind of being very uncomfortable by it. That's like the one right. scene, if I were to glean, you know, from that thesis, where I'd be like, that's a central point, you know, a I mean, point I, to it. I think that's always possible, you know, but, but again, I, I don't necessarily see that scene that way especially having kids of my own and you know having that time where you do comfort kids and you you get close and you do have like a moment where you you know you either like you know feel their hair or you know give them comfort physically i don't necessarily think that that has anything to do with sexuality um as to what we see in the movie now I think that we could infer that in other capacity, you know, especially in the way that he does say certain things. Um, I would never do anything to hurt you is generally something that an abuser does say, <laughs> you know, um, I don't think that that's necessarily related to specifically sexuality. Um, I think that that, you know, that that is also something that an abuser could say that is just a physical abuser. So, so I, I, just, I don't, I, I mean, I guess, I could see the sexual, but I, again, though, I don't necessarily see the metaphor that, that runs through the film that would indicate why the sexuality would be, um, necessary to the overall theme. You know it's what I mean? Just, like, well, because the allegory of the whole film is just abuse in general. 
Right. I mean, I don't, I don't know why it would need to be specifically sexual, you know, um, or incestual or anything like that. I don't. So, so that leads me to think that like, while there, while it's abuse, I, I don't, I don't necessarily see like a specifically referenced sexuality to it. Um, which, which, which again, I, I would agree with. I think it's an interesting idea and an interesting thesis, but I don't think overall there's enough there to kind of come up with that. I think, <clears throat> I, I, I think whether Kubrick intended it or not to kind of follow King's blueprint, it, that it's very much like, you know, about, you know, alcoholism. And yeah, and you know, I don't, I don't really think thinking about Danny too. I don't really think that we get that feeling from Danny either. I do think that we feel like Danny and Jack are very um, disconnected. You know, there's that whole scene at the beginning of the film where um, Jack and you know Wendy and Danny are driving in a car, and you do get a really disconnected feeling from Jack and Danny. Like Jack doesn't really know how to talk to Danny. Um, but or I don't care, or, or care, right? Or care, but I don't <laughs> really get the you know this the, the the element of sexuality to it. Um, I I mean the only other thing that I could really say is that Jack has that element of adultery to him because there is you know the scene where he he goes to the room two thirty seven and uh, the woman in the bath is there, uh, but. I, I still don't I don't really see it. I don't really see the over I don't if 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 that was the case, I don't really see an overall need for it because it's still just a film about abuse and whether it would be sexual or physical, I don't I don't really see why it, it would matter either way, you know, why they would hide sexuality to the extent that we would need to ponder an entire thesis about whether it exists in the movie. I don't I don't, you know, I don't think it matters. So what? So we briefly talked about it. What did you think about Shelley Duvall in this film? I mean, I think she's really good. I think she does a really good job in this movie um, from the beginning where she is, you know, an excited woman who is ready to spend some time in this hotel, but also kind of reticent about what that means. Um, I think that Shelley Duvall you know her personality and her her look puts her in a perfect place for this movie where at the beginning of the movie you can kind of see the fact that you know she has some reservations about Jack but um you know nothing that really stands out particularly but she does have that element to her of like wanting to please Jack at every turn making him breakfast uh, not you know being cautious to wake him and it gives us a, a an inkling of uh, what might be to come um, so I think she does a really good job and you know th there's a lot said about you know how Kubrick pushed her and you know tormented her on set um, whatever the case it really did bring out the best in her acting ability to be able to conjure a cowed but also somewhat strong woman um throughout the shining so i think she does a really good job 
How about you? I think she's really, she's great. She's got uh, just like Jack does. Um, she's got the great facial expressions. Um, watching her go from very reticent, as you said, um, and cowardly, and kind of slowly uh, developing backbone to uh, Jack's authority is very good. She has a great job. Um, even if poor Shelley Duvall looks like she's beaten by a ugly tree throughout the <laughs> film. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm sorry. But, but, I mean, she she does a great job. And she exhibits a amount of terror that is very visceral and very real feeling. And it kind of makes you wonder how this goddamn film got a Razzie for worst film and her being worst actress. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely disagree with that. I don't think that that uh, it's is a terror in the cards. It's an a ter- it's a terrible assessment. Right. Like, like, cause she, she is great throughout, and she's very charismatic, very captivating. And you know, and, and, why, and I, why, watching her growth is enjoyable. And then you know, obviously from the film standpoint, like calling it Razzie worthy is insufferable, abominable. Yeah, and where I would say that that's uh, probably like where she stands out the most is when she is on the staircase with with Jack, and um, she does that thing where she you know she's first talking about how she feels that they should bring Danny to the doctor. And then as she learns that Jack um, is, you know, he, he's, he's kind of gone crazy. She kind of takes a step back and says, you know what? I think I just need to, to go lay down and think about things the, like that turn. Um, I think is a really good showcase of her abilities to, be both courageous and then also like smartly turn on what she thinks she should really be doing and figure out that <laughs> my husband has really gone gone off the deep end now. I don't want to I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to hurt you. I just want to bash your brains in. So I mean I, I, I say I say how'd you like the whole all um all working no play makes Jack dull boy the um the actual like typewritten yeah yeah somebody had to do that and I really feel bad for them and I love it too because there's fucking errors and all in it like mm-hmm. you know the spaces and the lettering I know I, it's, I, it's I, an I, attention to detail where Kubrick probably sat down and said uh, you intern over here <laughs> uh, start writing start typing <laughs> away monitored in for thirteen hours how many pages do i need to type sir 700 (laughs) and make sure they're not all grammatically correct sit there and fucking typo you know i know uh, and that was you know certainly not an easy chore to do with a typewriter and just you know churning but it's but it is great though like Mm -hmm. you know yeah it gives a, a very you know visceral feeling to see that Especially because early in the film, when she's as she's just when you see Shelley Duvall like gently and politely asking, like, "Oh, can I read some of your work?" And he's like, "No, get the fuck out of here! I can't mm-hmm. fucking focus with you fucking fucking around, you fucking bitch! Fuck off!" And she's like, "Okay, I'll see you later." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you <know>, it's <laughs> it's cruel, but it's funny at the same time, you know. <laughs> 
Um, that's pretty much all I had to to talk about. I think we talked about you know. What you th- What you think of like the 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 effects and the cinematography in this film? Cinematography is great. I mean, the hotel itself is very uh, picturesque. The um, opening is amazing. I love that opening. The opening is great. The also the uh, the very the overhead shot of the maze, awesome, very good. Um, you know, especially as it dissolves and you have Jack looking over the maze. Uh, that's like the the maze model that's in the hotel, and then uh, Danny and Wendy are walking through the maze. Which which Pretty is shot. kind which is kind of like fu- like cool, but also at the same time like I think underutilized. That supernatural aspect of it, because they're you know playing um, Shady Ball and Danny are playing grab ass throughout the maze, and you see that over the top shot where he's actually seeing what's going on. I think that could have been you know utilized more throughout the film to make it, you know not necessarily with the maze, but overall to make you feel like I'm in this you know controlled area, mm-hmm. you know being controlled by some entity um i think that you know would because even as cool of a shot as it is and how it lingers and makes you kind of think i think it's kind of just there for that and then it's not expound upon yeah i agree i the the maze itself is you know a character in itself and i i do wish we had seen more of it All right, so we got to rate The Shining. Not that it really matters. I mean, it's been over the forty course of forty years, it's been rated heavily um, throughout. But we do still need to rate it for the podcast because that's what we do. So, um, on a scale of one to ten, decaying old woman boobies, what would you give The Shining? I want you to go to first this time. You want me to go first? Yeah, I want okay. you to go first. All right. Um, I would give it an eight out of ten. I think it's a. I do really think that it's a good movie. I think that it has a lot of atmosphere. I think that um, Jack Nicholson and Shelley Duvall do a very good job. I even think that um, you know, um, uh, Danny does a really good job as well. Um, you know, despite his uh, problematic haircut. <laughs> Love Scatman Crothers in it as well. <laughs> I do. I love. I love Scatman Crothers, and I, um, I, th- I, you know, he's a very kindly old man in this one, and uh, you know, I like that. And and also too, I, I really like the the surrealistic Im- imagery that is utilized throughout. Um, I like the uh, the addition of the uh, the various uh, supernatural elements, and I'm I actually do too like the um, the idea of The Shining with Danny. I do wish that it had been toned down a little bit where we, as a viewer, were not specifically sure that supernatural phenomena was actually going on here. I think that if we were left a little bit more in the dark and if Shelley Duvall was not given that one scene where she sees things happening as they are happening, like as a ghostly phenomena, I think we, the shining. Barefalatio. Right. I think we would have been better off because, I think the film should have just kind of left it more open-ended. You know, was there supernatural phenomena here? Is there just strictly evil in this place? Or Was there a guy running around in a bear onesie 
getting <laughs> blowing somebody with his right. ass hanging out. Or you oh, know, is Jack Torrance just having hallucinate you know hallucinations uh, from cabin fever and from you know lack of sobriety? Uh, I I think that that would. Well, be, I was gonna say from not lack of sobriety. Well, from his sobriety. Because lack if you of think of, I was say if you think about it, like the whole when he finally indulges in alcohol, you know, really starts going off the deep end. Like, what what triggered that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I think that if we were given that, we were not given the the whole explicit supernatural element. I think it would have been the shining would have been a lot. Um, even even more effective. I do still think it's effective. The score is really great. The cinematography is really great. Um, the constant use of visual metaphor and mirrors is really great from Kubrick as well. I don't think that is his best work. I do understand King's um, uh, criticism of the movie because it does kind of apologize for Jack's behavior in, in some capacity, and it does not find him to be the... Um, you know, it doesn't give him a retribution at the end of the film, which is pretty much what King was looking for because The Shining from him was a very personal story about alcoholism that he went through. And the 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 end of the, the film is or I'm sorry, the end of the novel is meant to be sort of like restorative to Jack because he's supposed to be um, forgiven. And in this movie, that doesn't really happen. And so I can understand his criticism of why he doesn't appreciate what Kubrick changed at the end of the, the film. Um, with that said, I think I do think it's really uh, a good film overall. And I, I, I think it's certainly worth multiple viewings. And the, the analysis that it's had, I do sometimes wish that it went a little bit differently, though. Um, I agree. I I would give it an eight and a half. It's it is a borderline nine film. Um, it's not my favorite Kubrick film, not close. But it's very it's well done. Jack Nicholson is great in this film. Um, and which is kind of saying something because Jack's not really even that present throughout the film. He's only like in a, probably a third of the film. He's very um very much kind of window dressing the cinematography in this film is great the whole like opening five minutes of what you know the opening credits of watching you know their car kind of go up the hill and get to where they have to go very house uh uh sorry uh very hills have eyes kind of feel to it or not hills have eyes maybe last house on the left i can't remember um uh, like the overhead shot and like kind of going up the can yeah are you thinking of like um the the haunting of hill house or like there we go yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah so i mean but it's it's very well shot very well done nicholson's great um so is shelly duvall child actor's great scatman crothers is great it's an interesting concept as ryan said i agree i think the film would work better if it was more grounded and more kind of just focused on like the allegory of of Jack's overall alcoholism and dealing with it. Um, I th- I think 
there's a lot to be done there, and I think there's a lot lost by the film being overtly like, no, there's ghosts running around. Um, it doesn't make it bad, but I think it does make it kind of like, eh, you know, like, kind of makes it, you know, more like, okay, here we go. Um, I, I think, you know, Kubrick's got a keen eye in this film. Works really well. I will say, even though Ryan didn't say it, um, one thing we consistently bitch about on this podcast is runtime. It's a gr- as great of a film as it is. It runs way too long. There's no need for this film to be two and a half hours long. It could be a two-hour film. Could have been, you know, shaved down. And I'm not saying like the atmospheric, you know, moody shots need to be, ter- you know, toned down. But I think overall, there's a lot of meandering throughout this film that could have been cut out. Um, it's obviously a cult classic for obvious reasons it's well done well you know a well-aged film um and i think you should watch it um and it's obviously part of the cultural zeitgeist because it achieves what set out to do um so yeah for me i'd say an eight and a half it's you know really good damn near a perfect film but it's shies away from it due to some artistic uh, choices. Mm-hmm. Alright, so there you have it. The Shining for Father's Day. Hope you enjoyed and hope you uh, have a good Father's Day where there is no abuse, physical, sexual, or otherwise. Happy Father's Day. <laughs> <laughs> um, Alright, so so next time when we come back, I think we're going to try to do um, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. That was uh, always the intention to do, but we, we didn't it's have a been chance. A, it's been the docket for like seven weeks now. It has been. Um, it's going to release on Disney Plus next week, so that should be um, should be our, our goal to shoot for for the next episode. Have you seen all of Wanda? Whatever the hell. WandaVision? Yes. Oh. I've seen every Marvel show. Oh, well, sorry for you to have the time. <laughs> wow, the film's almost grossed a billion dollars. How? Uh, Sam how, Raimi. How when no one's going to the theater? Sam Raimi. Sam Raimi threw $700 million at it, so it grossed a billion dollars. I keep forgetting that he directed it. I know. Yeah, it should 20- be... Uh, be fun. 20, 20 years after the fact that he's done a film, he's like, oh, Disney, you want to give me money? Okay. I'm making Hercules 5. <laughs> Should be fun. Should be fun to do. So we'll, we'll be back uh, with that episode. Um, We're doing Drag Me to Hell. Yeah, we haven't done that one before. Um, I, I kind of want to do like a, a Deadly Animals Month. We did that when we did Mako. That's it? That's the only one we're doing? I mean, I mean when you strike out that hard, there's no, <laughs> there's no coming back. Mm. You, you, you lost the plot there. Well, no matter what we're going to do, if you want to hear us, our, our new episodes, you should subscribe to us. We're on pretty much every podcasting app you can think of. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, home base at anger.fm. 
subscribe to us, leave us a nice review. Appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, we are on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for us on there, Blood and Black Rum Podcast. We are also um, we also have a uh, email at Blood and Black Rum Podcast at gmail.com. You can write to us, let us know what you like, what you don't like, what movies you want us to cover, and we'll take that into consideration. We also have um, a Patreon page where you can send us money. It's patreon.com slash Blood and Black Rum Podcast. Anything you donate will go back towards our beer, so we appreciate that. Um, and as always, uh, we are glad that you stuck around for our episode on um, The Shining, and we hope that you will come back again real soon. Listen to our Doctor Strange episode next time. So until then, don't let them lie. We're going to be doing Xenia next time. <laughs> Take care.